Good morning. Welcome again to Morning Devotions. Thank you again so much for our time together. What a privilege to sit down with you every morning and just read through the scriptures and worship together, especially in these days that we're in right now. Brothers and sisters, I know things look dark. And when I talk to business people and I talk to bankers, <laughs> oh, it could be depressing. But this is the day that the Lord has made. We will rejoice and be glad in it. It will be well with us. Everything that Satan brings to harm, God will turn it around and make it a blessing in our lives. Let us remember the promises of God. Now, all during this COVID-19 crisis, we've been talking about Psalms 91. We've got another child today who wants to do a recitation. Psalm 91, verse 1 to 16. He who dwells in the shelter of the Most High will abide in the shadow of the Almighty. I will say to the Lord, my refuge and my fortress, my God in whom I trust. For he will deliver you from the snare of the fowler and from the deadly pestilence. He will cover you with his pinions and under his wings you will find refuge. His faithfulness is a shield and a buckler. You will not fear the terror of the night, nor the arrow that flies by day, nor the pestilence that stalks in darkness, nor the destruction that wastes at noonday. Thousand may fall at your side, ten thousand at your right hand, but it will not come near you. You will only look with your eyes and see the recompense of the wicked. Because you have made the Lord your dwelling place, the Most High, who is my refuge, no evil shall be allowed to befall you, no plugs come near your tent, for he will command his angels concerning you to guard you in all your ways. On their hands they will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against a stone. You will tread on a lion and the other, the young lion and the serpent you will trample underfoot. Because he holds fast to me in love, I will deliver him. I will protect him because he knows my name. When he calls to me, I will answer him. I will be with him in trouble. I will rescue him and honor him. With long life, I will satisfy him and show him my salvation. As we turn our hearts to prayer today, I want us to remember pray for the seniors and to pray for the young people. Now, I keep praying for the seniors maybe because I get so much talk from them and so much feedback from them. But young people, why don't you send me some more feedback also? Young people, it's been hard on you. Those of you under the age of 21, basically you're still locked down and you've been locked down March, April, May, June, and now we're in July. Grabe, you've been locked down four, four and a half months. You haven't left the house. Some of you sneak out and come to the drive-in service. I know, I see you. But isn't it nice to be out of the house? But young people, we've tried to do some things for you also, just like for the seniors. But talk to us. Send me some thoughts. Pastor Summerall, can we do this? Can we do that? We don't like being locked down. We want more to do. Young people, let this be a productive time, all right? Get, get into iTunes University. Get into some of the, the great study things that you can get online for for free today. Let this be a productive time. But send me ideas also of what we can, as a church can do to help you in this time. Father, we come to you in Jesus' name. I pray for all the young people. It has not been easy, Lord. They're full of energy and they're full of life. And Father, they're just sitting there looking at computer screens. Lord, I ask in Jesus' name, let them see new productive ways of doing things. Father, touch their hearts and give them ideas. 
give them ideas, creative things that they can do with their life that maybe they won't or act on for another five or ten years, but things that they can begin to develop in themselves, things they can begin to plan for. Give them understanding hearts. And Father, in this season, let these young hearts have patience in Jesus' name. I pray for the seniors, Lord. Let them continue to be strong within their bodies. Oh, Father, let those bones not ache. Let them move around. Father, let them enjoy this time with their grandchildren. Oh, Father, let this be a time that grandparents and grandchildren bond deeper than ever before. Let these, let these be days that young people remember for the rest of their lives as they hear the stories of the family, as they listen to the wisdom of their grandparents. Let it be a good family time, Father. We ask that you keep your hand upon all of the, seat, the seniors that are out and moving about with their quarantine passes. Thank you for the angels that guard them in all their ways, for all the doctors and all the nurses and the med techs and frontliners of every type. Father, let your protection be upon them and keep them safe and keep them secure. And Father, we continue to hear more and more bad news about business. These are, however, the days where wealth is transferred from the wicked to the righteous. Father, in Jesus' name, let there be a great transfer. Let wealth, let land and properties, let buildings, let equipment, let vehicles transfer to the righteous at half price, Father. We're looking for half price sales. Father, we pray for land to build more churches on. We're looking for land in Cavite and Bulacan and Pampanga and Cebu and Davao. Thank you for land, Father, that opens up at half price to build a house of God, Lord. We thank you for tremendous wealth transferring to the righteous. Every family's business grow and flourish. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's open up our hearts and spend some more time in worship.
challenge the young people. I just had an idea while I was praying. Do you remember how the Bible says, this man has filled the city with his teaching? Young people, you are really good on those computers. What would happen if you just all took it on yourselves to take morning devotions, to take the evening service, to take senior moments, to take the teaching for that we do for the young people and all of the different things? What would happen if you just started getting online and sending that to as many people as you know? Sending links out just to whoever. Everybody on your mailing list, start inviting them to listen to these things and fill the city with the teaching of the Word of God. Now there's a thought for you. All right, let's get into our testimony now. Good day, Sophie. My name is Rich Santana from Accurate Choir. And I want to testify about God's goodness in my life because last February, I was able to graduate cum laude in Dallas College of St. Benilde with a course, BS, HRIM, major in culinary arts. After graduation, I have plans already to where and when to work. But due to the current situation right now, everything was put into hold. But I want to praise God because He gave me my plan B, which is to open up an online food business. And I want to praise God because of the good reviews I'm getting and for the extra income that I am earning. Truly, God has been a faithful God, and the harvest is sure in Him. Thank you, Sophie. Our Bible reading today picks up in Acts chapter 27, verse 1. Now remember, Paul has been before Felix, then he's been before Festus, he stood before King Agrippa and his sister uh, Bernice, and now they said, you know what, if this guy had not asked to go to Rome and appeal to Caesar, we could have let him go. So Paul took a calculated risk when he appealed to Caesar, but he knew in that calculated risk he was still going to get to Rome, which was God's will for his life. Now we begin that rather long, arduous journey to Rome. Verse 1. When it was decided that we should set sail for Italy, they delivered Paul and some other prisoners to a centurion of the Augustine cohort named Julius. All right, so this is a man who's over 100 soldiers. Remember, centurion has authority over 100 soldiers. And they entrust him to this man. Now this is a powerful man. This is not a man to mess with. And embarking in a ship of Adramthium, which was about to set sail to the ports along the coast of Asia, we put to sea, accompanied by Aristarchus, a Macedonian from Thessalonica. Now notice, this was Paul's companion, Paul's friend. So Paul was allowed to bring a friend with him from Thessalonica, he, a Macedonian from that poorest province of the Roman Empire. These people at Thessalonica loved Paul. The next day we put in at Sidon, and Julius treated Paul kindly and gave him leave to go to his friends and be cared for. Now, that is absolutely amazing. You, you have a prisoner, and you have to remember, under Roman law, if you lost a prisoner, you forfeited your life. But he so trusted Paul. Paul had such integrity. He so trusted Paul that he gave him leave to go to his friends and be cared for. Now, Paul could have just disappeared in Sidon. He trusted Paul. So Paul went, ministered to people. I'm sure they fed him well and gave him more clothes and things. And now putting out to sea from there, we sailed under the lee of Cyprus, which would be to the north side of Cyprus, because the winds were against us. And when we had sailed across the open sea along the coast of Cilicia and Pamphylia, we came to Myra of Lycia. Now, 
if you'll think with me to that coast, if Cyprus is, if Cyprus is here, okay, that coast of Cilicia, Pamphylia, all of that would have been up here. So they, they came to the north and they came up to this coast and then they were going to come along this coast of what was then called Asia. There the centurion found a ship of Alexandria sailing for Italy and put us on board. Now, these ships from Alexandria were usually carrying grain. These were usually grain vessels. Alexandria, one of the great food basket areas for feeding Rome. Uh, this was the great Gentile, uh, or rather the Greek, the Hellenistic uh, Jewish educational center, but also a great Gentile educational center named after Alexander the Great. So they found a ship of Alexandria, probably a grain ship, sailing for Italy and put us on board. Now, why a grain ship? Because these ships, they went straight, okay? These were not ships that could, you know, take their time and relax because they had perishable cargo. So this was a wise move. We sailed slowly for a number of days and arrived with difficulty off Sindus. And as the wind did not allow us to go farther, we sailed under the lee of Crete off Salmone. Coasting along with difficulty, we came to a place called Fair Havens, near which was the city of Lycia. So much time had passed, and the voyage was now dangerous, because even the fast was already over, Paul advised them. Now let's just stop there. We're now getting into winter storms, okay? He's, Paul advised them. Now, here is the prisoner. <laughs> I like that. The prisoner giving advice. Paul advised them by saying, Sirs, I perceive that a voyage will be with injury and much loss, not only of the cargo and the ship, but also of our lives. Now, Paul said, I perceive he did not think, but perceived. Now, this is a spiritual thing. Spiritual thought. Paul had something in his spirit. There's something in Paul saying, this is not the right thing to do. Now remember, those who are led by the Spirit are the sons of God. There are times when the Holy Spirit doesn't give us peace about something. They said, let the peace of God be the umpire of your soul. There are things that we just, we just, we know, we don't know why we know, but we know this isn't going to end well. You've all had that kind of touch of the Holy Spirit on your life, and this is what Paul experienced. But the centurion paid more attention to the pilot and to the owner of the ship than to what Paul said. So what did he do? He paid more attention to experience and ownership. You know, the owner is risking his boat. The pilot has experience. But you know what? You should have listened to the man of God. Now, straight talk, brothers and sisters. There are businessmen that have great experience. And you know what is their money? is their ownership. But sometimes you need to listen to the man of God because sometimes God puts a man or a woman of God in your life and they won't prophesy to you, but they just say, you know, I think you need to be careful about this. 
and you need to learn to listen. When a man or a woman of God says, I perceive, you, you need to listen. But he chose to pay more attention. Now, he paid attention to Paul, but it's in degrees. He paid more attention to the pilot and the owner. And because the harbor was not suitable to spend winter in, so all right, he paid attention to experience, ownership, and circumstances. Okay? Now, maybe the harbor wouldn't be the nicest place to spend the winter. Maybe they didn't have the nicest shops. Maybe they didn't have the best places to stay on land. But you know, it sure beats losing everything, and it sure beats dying. More attention to experience, ownership, and circumstances than to the man of God. And because the harbor was not suitable, that's kind of the decider. Okay? The final, the final straw, okay, the deciding factor was the harbor was not suitable to spend the winter on. The majority decided, now here you go, majority decision, decided to put out to sea from there. All right, so now you're listening to majority rule when you should be listening to the man of God. To put out to sea from there on the chance that somehow they might, could reach Phoenix, a harbor of Crete facing both southwest and northwest and spend the winter there. Okay, this would be ideal. It's large. If you study the history of that day, it's large. It's good at accommodating. It was a normal winter stop for boats. Now, when the south wind blew gently, supposing that they had obtained their purpose, they weighed anchor and sailed along Crete close to the shore. But soon, a tempestuous wind called a nor'easter struck down from the land. All right, so if this is, say, they're out here and this is where they are, this nor'easter came down and blows them completely away from any land. But when the ship was caught and could not face the wind, they gave way to, way to it and were driven along. Running under the lee of a small island named Caudia, we managed with difficulty to secure the ship's boat. Now this is the life raft, what we would call a life raft. After hoisting it up, they used supports to undergird the ship. Now, if you understand a ship, now you know I can't draw. Neither can I write legibly. But if, if this is a ship, they would wrap ropes around the ship like this, from stem to stern, okay? They would wrap ropes all around it, from stem to stern. Because remember, they didn't have a lot of nails in those days, and they did not want the ship bursting because of the pressure of the waves against it. To undergird the ship. Then fearing that we would run aground on Sirtis, they lowered the gear, and thus they were driven along. So they lowered the gear. This was to slow them down. This would be called a sea anchor. There's no ground for it to lock into, but it does slow the ship down. Since we were violently storm-tossed, they began the next day to jettison the cargo. All right, so now they have to lighten the ship. On the third day, remember, this ship would have been full of grain. On the third day, they threw the ship's tackle overboard with their own hands. They're still lightening the ship. When neither sun nor stars appeared for many days, and no small tempest lay on us, all hope, all hope of our being saved was at last abandoned. They gave up. Experienced sailors, experienced captains, they gave up. 
Now, you know, you can understand the discouragement of the owner because, you know, he lost his cargo. He's not going to get paid. You can understand the discouragement of the men that work the ship because if there's no cargo to be delivered, then they all lose their pay. Okay, there's, they earn nothing from this trip and they've pretty much given up and they're going to die. Since they had been without food for a long time. Now, why would they go without food? You ever try to cook and eat on a sailing boat in the middle of a huge typhoon? <laughs> you, first of all, you're probably throwing up because you're so sick to your stomach, all right? Paul stood up among them and said, Men, you should have listened to me. <laughs> Please forgive me. But I always chuckle at that. Paul says, I told you so. Now, Paul is not rubbing it into them. Okay, you got to get this un in your heart. The I told you so is not rubbing it in that he's right and they're wrong. It's to get their attention for what he's about to say. So sometimes you remind people of your rightness and their wrongness only because you want them to listen. So he said, I told you so, because he, he wants them to listen. He wants them to listen this time. Men, you should have listened to me and have not set sail from Crete and incurred this injury and loss. Yet I urge you to take heart. He said, be encouraged. For there will be no loss of life among you, but only the ship. He said, you're going to live. Now, he's got their attention. You're going to live. This very night, there stood before me an angel of God, to whom I belong and whom I worship. And he said, do not be afraid, Paul. You must stand before Caesar. And behold, God has granted you all those who sail with you. All right, now I want you just to back up and see some things here. Whom I belong. Paul always recognized, I belong to God. Now sometimes you need to get that in your spirit. You talk about something that will boost confidence in you and boost faith in you. You need to understand who you belong to. You're not just some slave that God decides to use and discard. You belong to him. You're his. I belong to him and whom I worship. And he said to me, don't be afraid, Paul. You must stand before Caesar. There's the promise. He said, God made a promise to me that I will stand before Caesar. And God's telling me he's going to keep that promise. And he said, you know what? God has also granted you all those who sail with you. So one man's faith in a promise saves all. I like that. One man's faith in a promise that God had for him brings deliverance to this entire, all of the people on that ship. And Paul doesn't stand up and try to draw attention to himself. He says, listen, last night an angel talked to me. Excuse me? Yeah, an angel talked to me. And he said, let me tell you something. God made a promise to me that I would stand before Caesar and God is reminding me of that promise. And you know what? I was talking to God about you guys also, and God has granted me. In other words, this was Paul's prayer. Paul said, I ask God for your lives also. God could have just saved Paul, but God saved all of them because of Paul. And I believe in part because of Paul's prayer. He said, God has granted you. In other words, Paul was asking for this. So take heart, men. 
Why? Why should you be encouraged? I have faith in God. <laughs> he said, why should you be encouraged? Because I have faith in God. One man's faith makes a difference. That it will be exactly as I have been told. But we must run aground on some island. In other words, the ship will be lost. But your lives will be saved. All right, let's open up our hearts and spend some more time in worship.
Testament passage today picks up with 2nd Chronicles chapter 11. Now remember uh, Israel has been divided. You have Jeroboam handling the ten tribes and Rehoboam the son of Solomon handling the two tribes. So when Rehoboam the son of Solomon came to Jerusalem he assembled the house of Judah and Benjamin 180,000 chosen warriors to fight against Israel and to restore the kingdom to Rehoboam. He said, these guys are going to peel off from me? Uh-uh. But the word of the Lord came to Shemaiah, the man of God. Say to Rehoboam, the son of Solomon, king of Judah, and to all Israel in Judah and Benjamin, thus says the Lord, you shall not go up or fight against your relatives. Return every man to his home, for this thing is from me. So they listened to the word of the Lord and returned and did not go up against Jeroboam. Now, this thing is from him. This is what God spoke to Solomon. He said, you know what? This is going to be lost because of how you have lived your life. You did not live a life that I could bring blessing to the next generation. Now Rehoboam, the son, lived in Jerusalem, and he built cities for defense. Now, you know, forgive me, but defense is expensive. These were never needed before, unneeded before. He built Bethlehem. Wow. David's city. He went back and rebuilt Bethlehem and made it a fortified city. Now that's only six kilometers outside of Jerusalem. So he built Bethlehem, Etim, Tekoa, Bethzur, Soko, Adullam, Gath, Marishath, Zith, Adoriam, Lachish, Azekah, Zorah, Ajalon, and Hebron, fortified cities that are in Judah and Benjamin. So because they're down to two tribes, he now has to build a new defensive network. His father and his grandfather had built a defensive network on the perimeters of the nation of Israel. Now he has to build a new defensive network on the perimeters of the promised land for two tribes, Benjamin and Judah. He made the fortresses strong, and he put commanders in them, and stores of food, oil, and wine, because they would have to withstand a siege. And he put spears and shields in all the cities and made them very strong. So he held Judah and Benjamin. So notice, he held. 
In other words, there was a, a, an opportunity for him to lose it, but he held Judah and Benjamin. Now notice what happens. And the priests and the Levites, who were in all Israel, presented themselves to him from all places where they had lived. Now God had taken the, the, the tribe of Levi and he'd taken the priesthood and he had scattered it through the nation to teach the people and to, to bring the people to God. And given them, for instance, the, um, most of the time you find that the Levites were in the cities of refuge. And these had been scattered through all of the 12 tribes. Now all of a sudden, all the Levites, so the tribe of Levi, all the Levites and the family of Aaron, which would be the priesthood, they all come from all of Israel and they come to Jerusalem. For the Levites left their common lands, their holdings, and came to Judah and Jerusalem because Jeroboam and his sons cast them out from serving as priests of the Lord. Now notice, their integrity cost them assets. To do what God called them to do, they had to leave everything they had. Now, before you think that this is just a little thing that I'm harping on, I want you to remember, why did the Levites receive the call of God upon their life? Every man took a sword and killed his brother. The Levites put God before everything else. Now again, they're told, either you help us worship these golden calves and you help us worship this, this goat idol and these calf idols, or you're done. Their integrity cost them their assets. They left their common lands. They left their holdings. They gave up their inheritance. Now, did you hear that? They gave up their inheritance for their integrity. Now, Jeroboam, this is the guy who runs the ten tribes. He appointed his own priests for the high places, for the goat idols, and for the calves he had made. He made one calf for Dan and one calf for Beersheba, remember? Or for Bethel. And those who had set their heart to seek the Lord, to seek the Lord of God of Israel, came after them from all the tribes of Israel to Jerusalem to sacrifice to the Lord, the God of their fathers. So notice, God-seekers also left the ten tribes. Now, one of the reasons you see the rampant ungodliness among the ten tribes is the loss of the Levites and the priesthood. One of the reasons you see the sudden downturn and the, the total sinful decadence of the ten tribes is all the God-seekers left the ten tribes. Those who set their heart to seek the Lord, they also gave up their inheritance and their assets. They put God first. They strengthened the kingdom of Judah. And for three years they made Rehoboam, the son of Solomon, secure. For they walked for three years in the way of David and Solomon. All right, so the first three years. The first three years that the nation had been separated. All of spiritual leadership, I call that SNL, all the spiritual leadership, all of the God seekers, they all came to Judah 
and Benjamin to Jerusalem. The city would be the capital city. And for three years, this strengthened the kingdom of Judah. You've got this incredible amount of godliness coming in. And this incredible godliness that came in caused the whole nation of Judah now, Judah and Benjamin, to walk in the ways of David and Solomon. Now, again, a big importation of godly people will change society temporarily. Just like a godly grandparent coming into a home will change a family temporarily. Just like a godly family moving in with an ungodly relative's family will change that family temporarily. And this is exactly what occurs here. This huge importation of godly people and spiritual leadership brought temporary change to Judah and Benjamin. And it strengthened the kingdom of Judah. Rehoboam took as his wife, Mahalat. Now, Rehoboam, this is the guy from Judah and Benjamin, Solomon's son. Rehoboam took as his wife, Mahalath, the daughter of Jeremoth, the son of David, and Abihail, the daughter of Eleb, son of Jesse. And she bore him sons, Jewish, Shemariah, and Zaham. After her, he took Maacah, the daughter of Absalom, who bore him Abishah, Ataya, Ziza, and Shelemith. Rehoboam loved Maacah, the daughter of Absalom, above all his wives and concubines. He took 18 wives and 60 concubines and fathered 28 sons and 60 daughters. Grabe, 60 daughters? Now, I'm not advocating multiple wives and concubines. In fact, these guys were not to do this. The Bible's pretty clear about that, but they, they did it, and it's just reporting the history. Rehoboam appointed Abijah, the son of Maacah, as chief prince among his brothers, for he intended to make him king. Now, this is not God. This is his desire. This is not God speaking to him. This is his desire. Now, he had other sons that came before uh, this son, Abijah, but because that's his favorite wife's son, he's going to do this. Now, he dealt wisely, and he distributed some of his sons throughout all the districts of Judah and Benjamin in all the fortified cities, and he gave them abundant provisions and procured wives for them. Now, notice, he took his 28 sons, and he put his 28 sons, if this would be Jerusalem, and he had these fortified cities as a perimeter wall, he took his 28 sons and put them because they had something to lose. They were princes of the kingdom. He put them in charge of these fortified cities to provide protection. His son was there. But notice, the Bible says he dealt wisely. This was, it was considered wisdom to put your son in charge of these fortified cities. Chapter 12, verse 1. When the rule of Rehoboam was established and he was strong, he abandoned the law of the Lord. Now remember I told you three years and then it was temporary. Well, now you see why it was temporary. When he got strong, he got arrogant and he abandoned the law of the Lord and all Israel with him. Wow. Leaders lead. Leaders lead into good 
and leaders lead into bad. He changed. And when he changed, the nation changed. In the fifth year of King Rehoboam, because they had been unfaithful to the Lord. Now notice, he has three great years. Now he has two years, okay? He's abandoned the law of God. At the end of those two bad years, Shishak, the king of Egypt, came up against Jerusalem with 1,200 chariots, 60,000 horsemen, and the people were without number who came with him from, the, from Egypt, Libyans, Sukkim, and Ethiopians. So this is a large army, foot soldiers without number, came up against Israel. And he took the fortified cities of Judah and came as far as Jerusalem. So all of these fortified cities defeated. All of the perimeter cities were defeated, came as far as Jerusalem. Then Shemaiah the prophet came to Rehoboam and to the princes of Judah. Okay, came to Rehoboam and to the sons who had gathered at Jerusalem because of Shishak and said to them, Thus says the Lord, You abandoned me, so I have abandoned you into the hand of Shishak. You know that nice little verse that says, Do unto others as you would have them do unto you? How many times in the Bible do we find God saying, like in Proverbs, because you've ignored me, I will ignore you. He says to this king and to his sons, you abandoned me, so I will abandon you. Then the princes of the king of Israel and the king humbled themselves and said, the Lord is righteous. This is true repentance. They didn't make excuses. They just said, the Lord is righteous. They didn't try to beg and plead and they just, the Lord is righteous. He's right. We, this is what we did. See, true repentance, true repentance is a confession. You're right. I'm wrong. No, no discussion. The Lord is righteous. When the Lord saw that they humbled themselves, the word of the Lord came to Shemaiah. They have humbled themselves. I will not destroy them but I will grant them some deliverance. There's going to be a price. And my wrath shall not be poured on Jerusalem by the hand of Shishak. All right, so true repentance. There is going to become some deliverance, but there's always a price for sin. Nevertheless, they shall be servants to him that they may know my service and the service of the kingdoms of the countries. He said, all right, I want them to learn a lesson. This is the lesson I want them to learn. This is what it's like to serve God, and this is what it's like to serve the nations. Now, here is how the lesson begins. All right, the lesson begins. What is it like to serve the nations? So Shishak, king of Egypt, came up against Jerusalem. He took away the treasures of the house of the Lord and the treasures of the king's house. He took away 
everything. He also took away the shields of gold that Solomon had made. Now, I want you to notice, serving God, God gives, God prospers. Serving the world, the world takes and brings poverty. There's a lesson to be learned. He said, I want you to learn what it's like to serve the nations. I want you to see how different it is to serve me. He said, you need to learn this lesson. And Rehoboam made in their place shields of bronze and committed them to the hands of the officers of the guard who kept them at the door of the king's house. All right, so now he gets less. He still is blessed, but blessed with less. So sometimes I look at businessmen when they fall into sin, and I say, you, you don't understand. They say, well, God has still blessed me. It could have been so much more. He's got shields of bronze now when he had shields of solid gold. And as often as the king went into the house of the Lord, the guard came and carried them and brought them back to the guard room. When he humbled himself because of the wrath of the Lord, turned from him. Always remember, when you humble yourself and repent, God's wrath turns from you. So as not to make a complete destruction. Moreover, the conditions in Judah were good. Okay, so life was okay. Life was okay for the people. Now, it's not the best, but life is okay for the people. So King Rehoboam grew strong in Jerusalem and regained and reigned. All right, so he grew strong again. Now, here's my question. What would have happened if three years went into five years, went into a lifetime? How strong would he have been? How different would life have been? He grew strong again and reigned. Rehoboam was 41 years old when he began to reign, and he reigned 17 years in Jerusalem, the city that the Lord had chosen out of all the tribes of Israel to put his name there. His mother's name was Naamah the Ammonite. He did evil, for he did not set his heart to seek the Lord. Now, here is the root the root cause of sin among God's people. He did not set his heart to seek the Lord. My friends, if you are busy seeking God with all of your heart, you're not going to mess around with sin. The root cause of why Christians get into sin is they do not set their heart to seek the Lord. You cannot be seeking God and off living seeking temptation at the same time. It just doesn't happen. If you want to stay, if you want to live a holy life, living a holy life is not this legalistic willpower thing. Living a holy life, this is how to live a holy life. You live a holy life by the focus of your heart. 
Oh, brothers and sisters, hear me today. This is how you live a holy life. Not legalism, not strength of willpower to say no to sin. You set your heart to seek the Lord. Oh, if you don't get anything else I ever teach you for the rest of my life, get this one. You don't live a holy life by willpower and by legalism. You live a holy life by just seeking God every moment of every day. Now, the Acts of Rehoboam from first to last, are they not written in the Chronicles of Shemaiah, the prophet and Edo the seer? There will continue wars between Rehoboam and Jeroboam. But again, remember, he got stronger again. And Rehoboam slept with his fathers and was buried in the city of David, and Abijah, the son he chose, reigned in his place. Chapter 13, verse 1. Chapter 13, verse 1. In the eighth year of King Jeroboam, this is the guy that runs the ten tribes, Abijah began to reign over Judah. He reigned for three years in Jerusalem. His mother's name was Micaiah, the daughter of Uriah of Gibeah. And there was war between Abijah and Jeroboam. Abijah went out to battle, having an army of valiant men of war, 400,000 chosen men. And Jeroboam drew up his line of battle against him with 800,000 uh, chosen mighty warriors. Now, um, this is two to one odds. Then Abijah stood up on Mount Zeremim, that is in the hill country of Ephraim, and said, Hear me, O Jeroboam, and all Israel. Ought you not to know that the Lord, the God of Israel, gave the kingship over Israel forever to David and his sons by a covenant of salt, a covenant of loyalty? Yet Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, a servant of Solomon, a servant of Solomon, the son of David, rose up and rebelled against his Lord. And certain worthless scoundrels gathered around him and defied Rehoboam, the son of Solomon, when Rehoboam was young and irresolute and could not withstand them. And now you think to withstand the kingdom of the Lord in the hand of the sons of David because you are a great multitude and you have with you golden calves that Jeroboam made you as gods. He said, you think you can win? Now listen to me. You think you can win because of your numbers and because you have your golden calves that Jeroboam has made you for gods. Have you not driven out the priests of the Lord, the sons of Aaron, the Levites, and made priests for yourselves like the peoples of other land? Whoever comes for ordination with a young bull or seven rams becomes a priest of what are no gods. He said, in other words, people can buy ministry office. Sounds like people today. But as for us, the Lord is our God. We have not forsaken him. We have priests ministering and for, to the Lord, who are the sons of Aaron and Levites for their service. They offer to the Lord every morning and every evening burnt offerings and incense of sweet spices set out on the showbread on the table of pure gold and care for the golden lampstand that its lamps may burn every evening. For we keep the charge of the Lord our God, but you have forsaken him. Behold, God is with us at our head. And his priests with their battle trumpets to sound the call to battle against you, O sons of Israel. Do not fight against the Lord, the God of your fathers, for you cannot succeed. Listen to the strength of this young man. It's amazing. Jeroboam set an ambush 
around to come, from, come upon them from behind. Thus his troops were in front of Judah, and the ambush was behind. Now, it's not too hard. You've got 800,000 when you're two to one odds. You split your forces. You've got 400 in the front and 400 in the back. And forgive me, in the middle is death. When Judah looked, behold, the battle was in front and behind him. And they cried out to the Lord. And the priests blew the trumpets. Then the men of Judah raised the battle shout. And when the men of Judah shouted, God defeated Jeroboam and all Israel before Abijah and Judah. <laughs> and the men of Israel fled before Judah, and God gave them into their hand. Abijah and his people struck with a great force, so there fell slain 500,000 chosen men of Israel. Thus the men of Israel were subdued at that time. Now they come back. And the men of Judah prevailed because they relied on the Lord, the God of their fathers. Now there is the key to victory. The key to victory. They relied on the Lord, the God of their fathers. Abijah pursued Jeroboam and took cities from him, Bethel with his villages, and Jeshahana with his villages, and Ephraim with his villages. Jeroboam did not recover his power in the days of Abijah, and the Lord struck him down and he died. But Abijah grew mighty. He took 14 wives and had 22 sons and 16 daughters. The rest of the acts of Abijah, his ways and his sayings, are written in the story of the prophet Edu. Now here is a godly king, and this is the fruit of a godly king. All right, we'll see you tonight at 7 o'clock.